Hiya, and welcome to the Just Bloody Post-It podcast. Actually, welcome flipping back because this is the first episode of series two, which means more to me than it does to you probably because it means we're hanging in there, baby, which is so important. Just keeping going is 99% of the job of making a success of something I've learned. I am Helen Perry and I help creative own boss businesses to market their thing clearly better on the internet. This podcast is for you. You'll often find me on Instagram, which is my platform of choice, but the stuff we chat about here tends to apply across any social network, on your emails, in the writing on your website. It's never ever just about Instagram. Nothing is. So we've had a break. I don't know where you're listening. We have some listeners in Uruguay. Hello, Uruguay. But it's been summer here in the UK and I really lent into it to the point where I started to become anxious that I'd lost my work mojo entirely. It has turned up again just in time for the autumn term and we've got just the right guest I think to set us up for a happy healthy next few months. If you're feeling low before you go online then I would suggest there are other means of nourishment that would be more appropriate. I'm not doing it for approval I'm doing it because I'm just sharing and I hope that in meeting one person where they're at and making a difference to that one person that's it jobs are good in. Susie Redding, we can call her the lovely Susie Redding, you'll see what I mean in a minute, is a psychologist who focuses on self-care and well-being that allows people to deal with times of loss and change in their life. She's written an impressive five books, including The Self-Care Revolution and Self-Care for Tough Times. Susie gives great consistent Instagram which is where I discovered her work and connected with her. Stay with us to hear her explain exactly what self-care really is and whether it's compatible in any way with being on social media. We talk about how to find and focus on your mission because that makes creating content and staying in your lane just so much easier and at the end we'll do a little breathing exercise for the overwhelmed. sure that a self-care revolution has happened in my life just yet. How did it happen in yours? How did this become your specialism? Ah, Okay, so empowering people with the tools of nourishment was an integral part of my career as personal trainer, yoga teacher and psychologist. But to be honest with you, it was when my own life experience of motherhood collided with the terminal illness of my father that really showed me how vital it is that I take care of myself. And it also completely broadened my idea of what self-care is all about. So that's, yeah, that was the awakening and that's what set me on this path. And I I hope that I can dial down some of these barriers and empower people with, with practical nourishing skills and tools. Oh, you're very good at the practical stuff. In fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you for an exercise later before the end that we can all do. You became a mum and lost your dad within a very short time of of both things happening together. What actually physically and emotionally were the consequences of that for you? What did it look like? How did it look 
when you don't take care of yourself well enough, I guess. Okay. So in that experience, you know, I, I don't know whether it was postnatal depression. I don't know whether it was sheer exhaustion, whether it was grief. The best way I can describe it is energetic bankruptcy. You know, this feeling of having nothing left in the tank, but being acutely aware of my responsibilities uh, and knowing that I needed to do something to take care of myself, but kind of not knowing where to start. And from there, it was like little by little reclaiming, nourishing action, because the things that I would normally do to take care of myself were totally inaccessible to me when I became a mum. I didn't have the same time or the same space or the same energy, the same funds. And in that brain fog, it was actually really hard to identify what I could do. But my daughter's just turned 11. I've had 11 years to articulate this toolkit And I can say hand on heart, there are so many things that we can do to fill us up, to help us move through our emotions. And, you know, the birth of my second child wasn't an awful lot different to my first. We um, moved back to the UK to be with my father-in-law who was in end-stage heart failure. And that experience of motherhood second time around, it was vastly different. It was still painful. It was still depleting. But with this arsenal of tools and and these new skills, it made all the difference. I know it works. Susie, I'm like, I'm a little bit older than millennial. I hear self-care. I sort of hear a, a bit of a buzzword. Is it bubble baths? Is it lighting candles? Actually, you know, what is it? Spot on. Is it a fad? Is it a buzzword? Is it narcissism gone mad? It's none of those things. Where the term originated was in the context of people in high-risk roles. So we're talking surgeons, the police crash investigation unit. Self-care was originally used in the context of these high-risk workers and it was talking about how these people could take care of themselves so that they could sustain that caregiving role. But the fact is no human being is immune from stress, loss and change. So it's not just the people in these these high-risk roles that need nourishment. Everybody needs it. And I think that's what we've we've definitely learned firsthand through this experience of the global pandemic. So from that perspective, what is self-care? Self-care is health care. It's taking care of ourselves physically, energetically, emotionally, and mentally. And if that kind of doesn't resonate, well, let's think of self-care as energy management. It's it's the stuff that allows us to get through our day, to de-stress, to vent. Uh, to give us a protective buffer against what comes next. So I'm hoping with those two definitions, there'll be something that resonates. Do the simple practices that you kind of use yourself, do they apply to everybody or is self-care different depending on who you are? Is it what exactly would you, what would you do if you were feeling a bit up against it emotionally? The fact is, I think there are broad fundamentals that, that we all need to address. Now, whether that's our sleep needs, rest and relaxation, time in nature, social connection, uh, nutrition, hydration, uh, creative pursuits. We all need an element of these in our lives, but how it manifests for individuals varies greatly. But also, it doesn't just vary from one person to the next. Our own needs are ever-changing. So how it looks in our lives will keep changing. The kind of things that I keep coming back to are the simple things that don't cost any money, that don't take any energy, that I can do whether I've got two kids in tow or whether I'm on my Todd. They're the simple things that that are just accessible to me anywhere. So it tends to use the body 
whether that's some kind of stretch or some kind of movement or some kind of breathing practice, some kind of touch, massage, or whether it's just a kind word where I can extend a little bit of tenderness towards myself and say, oh, sweetie, of course you're having a tough time. This is hard. That's what self-care looks like in my day. I do love a stretch. Oh, my goodness. I love a stretch. Daily yoga is my new thing for 2021. Why is this so needed now? Why are we so short on self-care now? It's not just the pandemic. This was a discussion that was being had, you know, way before that. Do you know, I think the pandemic has so many of the ways that we would normally take care of ourselves, we've not been able to do. So I think it's really got self-care on the radar where we've had to think about how can we meet our needs, you know, with these ever-changing variables. But you're right, it's bigger than that. Um, I think it's because we are embedded in a society that conflates self-worth with productivity, where we feel like, you know, we live by this you snooze, you lose kind of mentality, which is nothing short of dangerous. Um, and for so many people, you know, I, even when we've dealt with these um, issues of, of perceived lack of time, funds and energy, people are still feeling like they don't deserve it, that they're not worthy of it, that, um, you know, it's okay for everyone else to do it or, or maybe we could do it but we've got to clear our to-do list first. So there, are, there really are some significant barriers that we still need to unpick some things we need to unlearn. Mm, you're very much talking me round to getting in touch with my own self-care needs a lot better, which I'm sure very many people listening will be able to relate to that kind of sense that you are putting yourself last, that you, you need to address things that aren't great in your life, whether it is around eating, drinking, exercise, rest, spending time with people you just enjoy spending time with, things like that, prioritizing that stuff. What it doesn't normally become associated with is social media. You promote your work on Instagram, which has been called the platform that makes its users most unhappy. How do you find it, Susie? I found genuine connection in those squares. I sort of treat it as a hobby. I mean, of course, it's an integral part of my my career as an author. Are you under pressure from publishers? Are all writers under pressure from publishers to have an online audience? It's certainly encouraged and, mm. and, a, and a lot of publishers will say it's a deal breaker. I started my Instagram account as a savouring album of happy snaps of my kids. Now, for anyone that's had a little glimpse at my feed, you'll know that that's a complete, what I'm doing now is a complete departure from that. For me now, I use Instagram as, as a means of self-expression. I just enjoy that I can pop a little note to self on there and it's something that's either lightened my load or it's helped me process or understand or it's a, a concrete tool that I'm working with. And, and one, it's, it's helping me move through my stuff. But if that can make a difference to somebody else's day and if we can create a community around that where we genuinely take care of each other, how is that not nourishing? I mean, I have some theories on this, but I'm not the expert. Where does it then go wrong with a social account or w for somebody who's trying to grow a following? What are the patterns of use on social media that will tend to make a person sad or not feel good about the process? You must observe that and, and you must be mindful of it. What do you, what, how do you 
feel about that. And you know what, this is something that I have to very carefully manage for myself. So it's, it's being clear on why we're checking in, why, why we're using the app, why we're there in the first place, but also why we're checking in. If you're feeling low before you go online, then I would suggest there are other means of nourishment that would be more appropriate. If we're posting for a sense of validation, like I said, these are notes to self. I'm not putting them up there for someone else to say, oh, you know, I agree, or I'm not doing it for approval. I'm doing it because I'm just sharing. And I hope that in meeting one person where they're at and making a difference to that one person, that's it. Jobs are good in. It's not about the number of likes. And I think we can really torture ourselves with those statistics and those statistics really are rammed down our throat. I mean, if I have a look at the graphs, it just I just tune that out. That's not what it's about for me. So I think it's really about being very clear on our purpose and, and having very firm boundaries and knowing when to check in, how often to check in, how long to be there, and very carefully curating our feed as well. Mission is, uh, mission is a big one. Can you articulate your mission with your, your public persona? What are you hoping to achieve when you're out there on the internet? I, I want people who come to my page to feel like they've just received a really big warm hug. I want them to feel part of something bigger than themselves. And if there's anything that I can do to just help people feel cared for, then I've done my job. How do you keep it in check for yourself? I know that you're human, Susie. You must look at other authors in a healthcare, self-care space. Or maybe you don't. Maybe you protect yourself from, you know, comparisonitis and things by, by not looking at that stuff. Or somebody's posted a great video and you go, oh, shucks, I wish I'd done that. Like, how do you must have those feelings and, and, how, do you, and how do you manage them? I have to laugh, Helen, because it's not just authors that I compare myself to. It's other psychologists and coaches. It's other yoga teachers. It's other personal trainers. Oh my God. It's a, I mean, it's a nightmare. <laughs> and they're all on Instagram. They're all contributing <laughs> in beautiful ways. And I think I've just got to stay in my lane. I know, I know what I'm good at. I enjoy doing my little Monday micro moment sessions. I love doing that live. I look at other people who are doing fantastic things on reels. Do you know, and it's endless. I could spend all day, every day. But I'm not going to. And I'm also not going to compare myself to others in terms of the growth that they achieve because we're all in different games. We all know different people. I mean, for, for people that move in different circles, they've just got to get in front of the right person and their, you know, their account is shared with a million people. It doesn't matter. It's all of that is stuff and nonsense. If we can just stay in our lane, use this platform in a way that meets our purpose and serves our need and just yeah. what's the word? dial down the noise. Knowing what you want to get out of it and staying connected to that for me is very important because it's so easy to see what other people are doing. And my God, it's a really, God, it's a skill to be happy for other people. You know, and you're like, wow, that's that's brilliant. Oh, I wish I'd done it myself. Or I wish I'd done it. It's really, I've, you know, it can be very hard, especially if you're not in a good place at the time when you happen upon it. But I think if you can check in and go, actually, my account is working for me. This is working for me. I'm getting the results I'd like. I know what the results are. I'm having good conversations. But it's a, it's a tricky one. You are consistently visible on your Instagram feed. You're a really good poster, Susie. I think you post nearly every day. What's your kind of method of content creation? How do you fit that into your work and your week? Okay, you're right. I do post with regularity and consistency. But I do that because I find that actually helps my creative process. 
I find that the more I'm thinking about it, the more ideas I have. Um, so I don't feel compulsion to post. I hop online first thing in the morning because the kids are still asleep. I've got a little bit of quiet time. This is sort of, it's almost part of my little morning intention setting practice. So I, I do it for me. And if someone else can benefit, that's brilliant. And I also have a weekly theme. So I find that, that doing that Monday live session, I develop content for that on the weekend. Generally, when I'm sitting on the sofa and, you know, there's hustle and bustle of life going on around me, I'll jot down some thoughts and then I'll use that as content for my posts throughout the week. And it, it just works. When I go on my morning walk, all of these ideas come to me. I just make little notes, pop them into Canva. It's not time consuming and it's something that I enjoy. Uh, I mean, if you're struggling to find time to create content for your Instagram, putting your thoughts into Canva is super time efficient and if you if if you haven't kind of used that little tool yet it's much easier than taking a photo or making a video or making a reel and it can really resonate with people and really connect with people just the thoughts that you're having and I think especially if people would like to batch content and they sell a kind of a service or uh, an idea then it can work incredibly well for them and I think it's really interesting that you say that actually you're more creative when you're creating Mm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's also important to take time away. So I'm looking forward to over summer, I'll take a little break and I'll express myself in other ways. It's it's just, it's it's knowing your energy levels and also giving yourself room for wiggle. You know, there are some times when I can't do that Monday life. You know, if I've, you know, there are appointments that need to come up. We've got to be flexible. No one notices. Do you know what? Just take a week off and say, I'll be back next Monday. It just doesn't matter that much. And if somebody does notice, then that's lovely because they've, yeah, they've been looking forward to it. How much time do you think you give it the process of publicizing your work? Do you just use Instagram or do you use other platforms as well? I've got a presence on Facebook. Uh, I have a presence on Twitter and I'm grateful for Twitter because that's how I found my first publisher. So, you know, let's, I'm, I'm loving social media because it's opened some really important doors for me but mainly Instagram. And I found that I couldn't sustain a presence in all of those different places. And I just, I just enjoy hanging out on Instagram. I really enjoy the conversations that I have and the relationships that are built there that they're very real, you know, and, and so many of the friendships that I've formed in this country, we moved here seven years ago. So many of the, 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 the meaningful connections have actually come from Instagram. And now it's, you know, well, when we can meet in the real world, that'll happen again. But it's it's a tangible source of, of, of genuine relationship. I completely agree. And you're not the first guest on the show to say that they have found real, true friends with like-minded people. And often the kind of friendship that you haven't had access to in your real life circle of people, like people who are doing something really similar to what you're doing. And you can just chat about work or your passion or your interest in a way that maybe your kind of at-home friends you know they're not as interested so it can be beautiful for that you talk about real relationships and very real connections being made on Instagram and I agree that happens on my account too and I'm very grateful for it I find the kind of quality I find the kind of you know people I meet there are uh, fantastically kind of well matched to my work but I know that from talking to some therapists that can lead to other issues in the sense that people want to have almost therapy discussions in your direct messages is that can that be an issue for you and your account 
Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And, and when I'm setting out this intention to, I want people to feel cared for, invariably that, that leads to people asking questions and people asking for advice. So I love that I have my IGTV library that I can uh, refer people to. You know, that's essentially a resource library. Um, but I make it very clear that I can't give advice via DM. Um, and if people want to take a look at specific issues or form a toolkit around things, well, you know, that's what we can do together in partnership one-to-one. Thankfully, we can now do that via Zoom and the phone and it opens up to people all over the over the world. But, yeah, having those boundaries are really important and being clear on how I can help and in what context. Yeah, yeah, because you, like you said, you're coming from a place of wanting to help. So to then have to sort of say to someone, this is probably as far as we can take it on Instagram, but did you always work on Zoom and remotely or is that something that's changed for you during the pandemic? There have been lots of twists and turns. Uh-huh. Originally, most of my work was walk and talk sessions and I love doing that. You know, we take it out into nature's beauty, move through what your what's on your mind while we move the body. Um, obviously, that was on pause. Um, I'm amazed at how things have evolved. All of my corporate talks are now via Zoom. And um, I'm really grateful that I've been able to, to, to make that pivot. And it has broken down the barrier. So many people are open to coaching via Zoom and the phone and, and, and we, can, we can do it. You know, I'd rather connect one-to-one, but if that means that we can't work together because we're not in the, you know, in the same geographical location, then thank goodness for technology. Absolutely. And I think, you know, although it would be it, it, obviously the optimum environment for learning, connecting is being in the room with someone, but it counts for so much that you can reach more people, you know, that you can reach people wherever they live in whatever time zone they're in. That that especially when you've got this audience that lives all over the world or in different parts of the country, you know, you can finally really work with them. I think it's been an amazing thing. The Zoom revolution. I want to ask you a personal question. Talked about publishing and Twitter and you can't do all social media platforms perfectly. Better to do one really well and really be at home there, I think. But how do you, Susie, sit still long enough to write a book? It's something I find a bit unfathomable. The process for each of those books has been very, very different. The first book was, it started out as a collection of blog posts and then I, I, I wove a narrative thread through it. The second book, it was like from start to finish, I sat and I had uninterrupted time, you know, child-free time, and it was glorious. And I haven't had that since. <laughs> the last book I wrote was during winter lockdown of 2021 when I had both kids at home, homeschooling, work commitments. Life was full. And I actually wrote that book 300 words a day while the kids were having a bath. I'd sit on the floor outside the bathroom so where I could see them, I could clock them, and I'd sit and tap 300 words a day. And, you know, it's amazing what a deadline will do to galvanise you, but also when you've got something something to say and you're excited about it, 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 it comes. <laughs> Daily discipline is important as well. Just starting every day, chug away and, and uh, you know, stop putting it off and get started on it. How do you connect to your own mission? For somebody who is struggling to connect with that mission that we both think will help ground your online presence and your and your kind of 
mental relationship with what you're doing on Instagram. How do you find that? How do you connect into it? Okay. So there, there are lots of different ways and it's not a one size fits all approach. I think for some people, it might be a, a matter of reflecting on what feels really important to you as an individual and how you can turn that into your career pursuit. It could be maybe a little bit more tangible than that. We could take a look at what are our strengths? And that's not just our strengths in the workplace. That can be the strengths that we've developed through parenthood. We can take a look at our our life, you know, plot, plot back a timeline, look at the things that you weathered in your life and what are the strengths that you drew upon to overcome those things. It's coupled with sort of an understanding of how you can best be of service and what needs are you able to meet. So it's knowing your tribe as well. It's knowing yourself, knowing your remit, but understanding, I guess this is probably more from a therapeutic context, uh, working as a coach, you know, whether that's personal training, yoga, or working with, with the mind, but it's it's understanding how you can best be of service. What are the people in your tribe, what are they looking for? How can you assist them? What problems are you solving? And then drawing on your toolkit and your strengths to be able to say, hey, I'm here and I can't wow. wait to help. I think that applies to almost every product or offer that you've got that you need to know who it's for like really who's it for and fall a little bit in love with those people and their the problems and you know challenges they're facing and think gosh I know how they would feel today and why they maybe haven't been able to do the thing they want to do and how I can perhaps help with that definitely fall in love with your people advice Susie for someone who is struggling to feel worthy of showing up online? Oh, this is a really big one. I think our purpose can help dial that imposter syndrome down. I'm amazed at how I can dig deep when I'm connecting with what this thing facilitates. You know, if I think about what this facilitates in somebody else's life, that's the stuff that helps me get out of my own way. But also reflecting on my own life experience. You know, I can remember when, oh my goodness, Charlotte was probably four months old. I had dad in one intensive care unit and my mum was in another intensive care unit. She had, she'd had a, a, a minor accident that, oh, in that moment, it was kind of like, I, I've, I've got a woman up here. I am no longer going to stand in my way. Life is hard enough. I'm not going to add to my own burden with, with, with harsh self-criticism and self-flagellation. So I think sometimes life kind of pushes us and we get squeezed out of our, our what's that word, chrysalis and we emerge. But if life is not naturally doing that for you, just just be gentle. Just be gentle with yourself and, and, and remember that you're making a difference in somebody's life. And I think once you've connected with your tribe and you're thinking about how you're able to help them, I think that really helps us overcome some of those self-doubts too. And you can very much put to one side the people that you're not speaking to and that don't need it at this particular moment. That's cool. They can go and find their people and you can help the ones that you're meant to help. You switch on live on your Instagram and you talk to your people. And that's quite ballsy. A lot. Of, I mean, I don't even like to go live on my own on Instagram. I often bring a buddy in and talk to them. How about advice for someone who's struggling to put themselves out on camera, particularly on video, which can be hard for women? Practice. You know, I think I feel comfortable doing the Monday lives, probably by virtue of teaching yoga classes for maybe 20 years. But I can tell you when I first started doing that, I can remember standing in front of this group of 20 people thinking, 
why have you why have you come to what 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 how did this happen? I've never aspired to a career that involves public speaking, and just about every facet of what I do involves some kind of public speaking. It's practice, and the thing is, you can practice and not share it. Literally, get comfortable with popping your camera on it on a support and practice. And when you're talking about something you're passionate about, again you'd be amazed at the strength that you can find. Yeah, yeah. I was chatting to a client this week who said, oh God, you know, you're so, you know, you seem so comfortable on Instagram stories and I'm always so stilted. And I'm like, just talk about something you know really well. Talk about something that you feel so comfortable chatting about, even if it's like making a cup of tea. Talk about a topic that you feel totally at home with and you'll find it flows a little better. Nearly finally, some advice for anyone who's continuously comparing themselves to other people on the internet. Please, can we not compare ourselves to someone's highlight reel? Because that's what this is. It's highlight reels. It's a habit. Let's just see it for what it is. It is a habit. We don't need to do it. It it generally doesn't serve us, right? So let's just do things differently. And when it comes to habit change, it's a matter of becoming aware, noticing when you're doing it and saying, oh, I'm not going to do that anymore <laughs> and extending tenderness and compassion towards ourselves. Right. This last one, while we're in the therapist's chair, may or may not work on a podcast. But Susie, you often share like physical exercises that people can do to just have a little bit of a release or get back in touch with themselves or whatever it might be. Have you got like a physical activity that we could do when we're feeling completely overwhelmed by the demands of the digital universe and our little businesses and our families? What's one little thing that we can do to get ourselves back back in the room again go on then we have imagine we can people listening can't see you so we're gonna have to talk this through in a way that makes sense let's start with just a little shake of the hands let's shake the hands out and with that shake you are releasing whatever it is that no longer serves you you're letting go what you no longer need and it is leaving the building okay and now we're going to rub our hands together rub your palms together to create some heat And then we are going to place our hands across the heart. Pop your hands on your heart. Feel the warmth of your hands penetrating your heart. Take a couple of relaxed breaths. Let your shoulders drop away from your ears. Soften even the tongue in your mouth. And take a couple of spacious breaths. And with this gesture we are extending a little tenderness and kindness towards ourselves. We're giving ourselves permission to feel whatever it is that we're feeling. We're letting it move through us. And we're reminding ourselves that we can be our own safe place. Oh, <laughs> I hope everyone's doing that at home. Uh, And Susie and I are both smiling. We can see one another on a camera while we're making this recording. Susie, thank you so much for being so generous with your time and your thoughts. It is such a pleasure. Thank you for helping me do some myth busting about self-care. And I I hope everyone feels like they've got a bit of a fresh take on things and some concrete things that they can try. Yeah, I love a concrete thing that people can try. Concrete. Thank you, Susie. Thank you, Helen. 
so hope you enjoyed that conversation. It was a bit of a game changer for me because it got me to really open my mind for the first time to the value of rest for rest's sake, like not fighting the nap, just taking the nap is okay. Also, listening back, you've got to notice how Susie does not make hard work out of sharing her mission online on Instagram she batches content she even batches book writing by the bath she just gets it done perhaps it can be that simple so new thing for series two on Fridays I am going to start sharing teeny tiny micro episodes of Just Bloody Post It. They're just going to be about five minutes long and the idea is that they'll allow me to share some thoughts on what makes marketing work for small businesses like ours. First we're going to cover how much of yourself you need to share in order to connect with your audience. I have thoughts. To make sure that you don't miss it, subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's lovely to be back. Thank you always for listening and I'll see you next time. Bye.